Welcome to Startup Hacks, a We Global Studios podcast. We explore the stories and secret strategies that women entrepreneurs use to save time and money when bootstrapping and building their businesses. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina, and today I'm so excited to welcome Tanya Faulkner. Tanya is the founder and proprietor of Le Grand Cartage and Trey Chic Rosé. Her passion for food and wine led her on a journey to France after seeing a gap in the wine category. This led to the creation of Le Grand Cartage, which is about elevating the everyday and living joyously. Also previously, she co-founded a development and consulting firm, so she understands the evolution from vision to scale. Welcome so, Tanya. How are you? I'm fantastic. Um, Thank you for having me. Excited to talk about all things entrepreneurship. (laughs) Well, we are too. um, I'm so excited about having our little conversation and hearing your journey because I know it's it's full of twists and turns like a good novel. So I think that our listeners uh, will really get a lot out of your story. So first, however, I was wondering if you could just kind of paint a picture of Tanya early days, who you are, where you started out, where you're from, so that our listeners can have some context to your story. Absolutely. Um, so um, I grew up in a three-street town, 400 people on Main Street. My uh, parents still live there. And when I look back, I have such fond memories of backyard barbecues, Sunday dinners, and people gathering together. And I think growing up in such a small community, it made me very desirous of seeing the world. And I was like, there must be more than this. And uh, subsequently, I've traveled all over the world and you know, a lot of second, third world countries and such. And what I really realized is the common denominator of all cultures, you know, whether it's rice wine in Vietnam or whatnot, it's it is you know food and wine are what bring people together and you know at the end of the day people just want to be happy and so to me it's less about getting people drunk and you know the what the byproduct of alcohol it's more about community and connection and bringing people together and so ultimately I saw this gap in the category and I really love the concept of being able to bring people together to share you know food wine and laughter. So did you start out your professional career um, in the food and beverage area specifically? No, um, a long, circuitous route to get there. I actually, um, my background initially was architecture and real estate development. And so I used to do large-scale development in cities like, you know, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Oakland, and such. And um, I also uh, co-founded a consulting company that was uh, this express purpose of housing policy and economic development. And so I've had a um, entrepreneurial route for over 20 years, um, both in real estate development and consulting and now wine. And um, before taking the leap and moving to France, I was living in San Francisco, which is so food and wine centric. And I saw this kind of opportunity where food and, uh, excuse me, uh, French wines are so traditional, Domaine Miche, Chateau that, plain green glass. And I thought there was a unique opportunity to create something that was much more modern. And so I ended up uh, putting together a business plan after seeing the opportunities in the sparkling wine category. And rather than producing in Napa, which was sort of in our backyard, I thought there was um, a specific parlay into 
uh, French wines and trying to create something that was just a little bit more, bit more modern, um, very affordable, and um, would compete against sort of like a Chandon or one of the domestic wines, but give, gives that French cachet and elegance. And so this is a big undertaking, right? Like, so I've heard a lot of stories from different founders and starting a wine business and having that wine business kind of emanate from Europe um, for someone who, you know, wasn't raised kind of in, in kind of the wine business per se. I mean, was that a little scary or, or daunting or am I just projecting that it's a bigger deal than it really is? Um, no, all of the above and uh, back then, I didn't realize how scary or daunting it really um, was, and so probably my ignorance or naiveness um, helped serve me well. Um, ultimately, I had put together a business plan, and I figured, worst case, I would travel for a year or so in France. Best case, I'd convince somebody to work with me. And so after doing a tremendous amount of research into the category and trying to understand sort of the nuances and this specific market gap we filled, I ultimately took the leap and just went to France with this you know, plan in hand and you know, convinced a gentleman named Marcel to work with me. And you know, back then, I didn't realize how expensive, how um, uh, overly competitive it really was. And you know, they say that something like 93% of wine is controlled by six companies in the U.S., I didn't know that back when we started. It's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I oftentimes think that as as important as it is to do your homework, um, there is something so great about being a little ignorant to the odds, which is why I'm not a big believer in people spewing statistics about the hardship of success in a particular area because it really impacts you psychologically and your mindset. I think sometimes it serves you much better to feel like the world is your oyster because you don't know what you're about to step into because if you did, you might not do it. And then you do and you are successful. So so mm-hmm. you decided to not actually grow your own grapes and like purchase land and and start that way. So explain that a little bit for people who are not wine connoisseurs and might not really understand the business. And, you know, effectively, I looked at the concept out the gate of, you know, make versus buy. You know, do you um, essentially set up everything internally in terms of talent, infrastructure, and systems, or do you outsource and hire experts in respective arenas? Um, ultimately, I only had so much cash to burn, and so I thought, let's diversify and mitigate the risk out the gate. So instead of buying vineyards, which is millions of dollars, or setting up a production facility, which is probably another 2 or $3 million, I uh, partnered with uh, one of the top producers in France in order to create my wine. So while it's my blend, my brand, my trademark, they handle all of sort of the back office for me and all of the wine production. So I lived in France for about a year and a half while I was developing everything. And then I go back a couple times a year, depending on stages of production and things like that. And by doing so, it helped me accomplish a couple things. One, I have a very low capital expenditure business. And so I um, did not have to put out a lot of funds in which to um, ultimately start. So it's much more scalable. And so effectively, um, I um, yeah, didn't, buy, didn't buy vineyards. I didn't build a production facility. And I outsourced a lot of my, like, say, CFO-level duties, compliance, supply chain, 
in the early stages, knowing that I could bring in those components, once I had a little bit more assurance of, as to proof of concept, and I had more of a definitive uh, revenue stream and confidence in the vision that I had set out to do. So over time, I started bringing in more of those components internally. So if we were going to be used kind of the, the clothing manufacturing business um, as an example, would you say it's a little analogous to finding the right manufacturer to, for example, create your T-shirt? They're already making T-shirts for a bunch of different brands, but you can go in and say, okay, I want the neckline this way. I want this kind of cotton. I want this. And then they can fabricate it for you. Is it sort of like that type of relationship with the winery? Mm-hmm. That is very similar. And, you know, in layperson's terms, they often refer to it as contract manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, and whereas this is not an off the shelf, like we're just utilizing a design that's there and slapping a label on it. You know, we've mm-hmm. developed the wine blend and all the custom packaging, but effectively your analogy of clothing is very similar where, you know, that you're seeking those experts because they already have all the supply chain and production down and the economy is the scale that they bring, um, the pricing components, all those things are way more efficient and affordable than if I, Tanya, was going out to all the respective individual suppliers for grapes and glass and labels and corks and everything else that comes into play. Yes, and that's, uh, for all our listeners out there, that is a huge hack right there, which is if you don't have to build it all from scratch, leverage resources, companies, entities around you to save you that time and money for sure. So, so now take us into your company. You, you've launched, you clearly um, were very successful. How were you received in the U S with your products when you first launched? Um, Out the gate and uh, coming back to that, that naiveness concept, I didn't realize how difficult it was to get distribution in the alcohol industry ever since Prohibition. There's something called a three-tier system, which effectively we need to sell to a distributor. They sell to restaurants and retailers, and then those respective trade accounts sell to the consumer. So it makes it far more complicated, and every state has its own alcohol rule. So um, we literally have 47 different distributors in the 47 states that we're in. So um, trying to get traction and get a distributor to want to say yes, because they're like, oh, that's cute and nice. And I don't think people took me seriously. Um, It's much like many industries. It's very male dominated and predominantly older white men. And um, when I, you know, came to them at first i only had one wine our blanc to blanc fruit in the 750 um, ml size i subsequently came out with rosé and then we have the little mini bottles and once i had a little bit more of a portfolio i was more um, of interest but also what i quickly realized i needed to create my own success in which to get them to yes and so out the gate i uh, sort of have this um, adage of like swing for the fences, act as if, have the audacity to believe. And um, we're positioned in California. That's where our home base. And so I started courting Virgin America um, back when we launched it. You know, they've subsequently sold to um, Alaska. But you know, Virgin was kind of the cool, hip airline. And um, Richard Branson's all about taking risks. So I approached Virgin and said, like, hey, you need to, up-level your sparkling wine, and on the back of our bottles, it says, embrace life, dream big, accept all invitations. So I said it's you know, perfect marriage of 
sort of your philosophies about business. And so ultimately, within the first year of launching, I landed a Virgin America contract. That sort of put us on the map. And because then the California distributor, they saw me at a Virgin party and they're like, I've never seen this brand. Like, who are you? What's it about? And so suddenly, um, the fact that I have the street cred with a really important account opened the doors to a lot of the distributors. Yeah, that's a great story and, and underscores the importance of really just being completely audacious with your um, goals and aspirations professionally, because that's the only way you're ever, you're going to get out the gate really quickly is to really be so fearlessly daring. What a great story. Mm-hmm. So, well, and I was going to say along that vein, I'm sorry if I might just add one thing I was going to say on that um, front. You know, I sort of looked at it as marketing expense. Even if that first big account, you're not making hardly any money, it becomes your billboard. It's a show versus tell, and it allows you to open doors in a very different way. And so take the hit on the first couple accounts. Don't lose money, but don't worry so much about your margins on that first one or two accounts to, to get somebody to take a chance on you. Yeah, 100%. So... Uh, remind me again, I'm, I apologize, how many years has it been since the launch of the company? Um, I moved to France 10 years ago, and then we've been in business you know, with the Le Grand Cortage brand for about seven years. Okay, so now walk us into, I know your business has done very well over you know those years, and then COVID hits. So now walk us through that scenario. <laughs> um, we were doing extremely well. To give context, we've hit surpassed 50,000 cases at the end of 2019, which put us in the top, you know, probably six or 7% of all wineries in terms of size. And so we'd accomplished quite a bit. Um, We actually were approached unsolicited to buy the company. Um, We're 70% restaurant and hotel sales. So you can imagine COVID sort of decimated a lot of our sales. And as you may or may not be aware, there were a lot of uh, tariff realities in the past administration. And so wine ended up with all this back and forth of tariffs and a 25% tariff um, on top of everything else. So it's sort of like we had insult to injury of tariffs, then COVID and um, a major loss in business. So we ended up you know, seriously worrying about, are we going to go bankrupt because of this? Um, I was fortunate to get um, now two PPP loans, um, the EIDL loan and we completely restructured the company and ended up going to a um, sales and marketing agency. So we ended up outsourcing a lot of our staffing. Unfortunately, it required some tough decisions about laying off and things like that. But I actually feel that this positions us for much greater longer term success because I really went to a variable model versus all the fixed overhead I had prior to COVID. And, so obviously you cut back on your expenses by by outsourcing out to this advertising and and sales um, company. But what about the the revenue flow? Have you seen that that has started to come back post COVID? Starting to slowly um, because you know sadly a lot of our account base that we had worked so hard to build um, the attrition rate of restaurants is. Um, substantial. And so they're never coming back. You know, they're they're expecting maybe as much as 40% of restaurants will go under. So there's still a lot of rebuilding. However, those that do exist um, still, or, you know, the retail base, 
um, we're definitely seeing the strength there. And we sort of joke that as soon as there's enough of the herd um, immunity or you know, the, the, with the vaccines and such, that it's going to be like the Roaring Twenties and people are going to want to be out and about. So we've really positioned ourselves for um, a super strong 2021, you know, whether that's Q2 or Q4 remains to be seen, depending on all the other dynamics. But um, we're definitely seeing sort of the excitement, you know, on the consumers and accounts and such. And some of our listeners might be thinking, you know, gee, why didn't she go digital? Um, A lot of people, you hear that all the time, companies have pivoted Mm -hmm. and kind of put all their business online. Um, For those that might not understand, do you want to talk a little bit about why that's sometimes challenging in the wine business? Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned a few minutes ago about the three-tier system. Um, because we make French wines, I don't have, you know, I don't produce wine in California as an example. So I don't have access to all of the licenses that maybe a domestic winery does. And it's frankly very expensive to ship wine. Amazon's created a mentality of no one wants to pay to ship. And um, there's so many rules and restrictions regarding shipping alcohol. Every state has their own rules. And so it's just, uh, A, expensive and B, logistically difficult. We do sell online, but we have to work with a fulfillment house and somebody else for all their licenses. So it's not quite as uh, the utopia that a lot of people think. Yeah, and I have noticed that now when you get takeout and if you go and pick up your own takeout, that a lot of establishments have like these huge racks of wine hoping that you Mm -hmm. pick up a bottle. Um, So is that also part of their business plan now in terms of pivoting? Mm -hmm. You're seeing a merger of a lot of channels where, to your point, uh, restaurants have become kind of like carry out for wine. And so it's created this uh, different reality where you've got a lot of um, shifts. And then, of course, with the um, Instacart and all of the delivery and such of groceries, you kind of have a digital but not online sales um, in the way of normal shipping. And so you've just seen a lot of shift. And so we've tried to adapt, but they actually call them the quote-unquote COVID comfort brands. And so a lot of people have the impression because people are drinking more during COVID, like, oh, we must be killing it. But we weren't a grocery store brand. And so Yes, we're in um, limitedly in grocery around the country, but they uh, largely went for the, the big brands. And, you know, you think about it as a consumer, you're not standing there perusing the shelves, you know, discovering new products. You're in and out or you're ordering online and just picking up whatever you need for the essentials. So it somewhat changed the dynamic a little bit, but um, we were able to take advantage of a lot of that sort of takeout and things like that that you were mentioning. So for those listeners that want to try your wine, I know that you are carried by a major grocery store chain. So do you want to mention that? Um, We're at Ralph's and Safeway in California. Um, We're uh, wine.com. We're ATB and Central in uh, Texas. And we do sell on online as well at legrandcortage.com. So there are opportunities there and, and lots of independent retailers around the country as well. 
Okay, good. So now let's talk a little bit about a few additional hacks. You mentioned a couple already, which are huge. One was part of your business model and was baked in. The other one was some of your pivoting strategies during COVID. Um, are there any other any other uh, hacks that you would like to share that you feel that you use that saves you either time, money, or helps you gain a competitive edge, either historically or currently? Yes, absolutely. Um, one of my saving graces is I belong to an entrepreneur group and a mastermind group, and I highly recommend that. I did not do that until a few years ago where I had like this go-to group. And essentially, like, we have an email um, list group where you can um, ping people and say, hey, I'm looking at recommendations for 3PL cold storage or uh, feedback on equity compensation or contract manufacturing or whatever it may be. And within uh, a couple hours of sending out a query, we get so much feedback. And I find that it's phenomenally helpful to, A, cut to the chase and get insights quickly without doing all the research yourself. B, to normalize the fears and doubts that you have um, because you can share with others. And, you know, they say that being the CEO is the loneliest job. And so I think especially during COVID when a lot of people were so fearful of just going under, it's been tremendously helpful to just bounce ideas and like, hey, what are you doing? Hey, what do you think? And just trying to navigate the storm. So I highly recommend, you know, setting up or joining a local entrepreneur group. Yes, and I'm going to have to plug weglobalstudios.com's platform to do that as well. So thank you yeah, for setting absolutely. that up for me. <laughs> um, Unintentional, right? But yes, of course, with everything that you're creating, that's the whole intent purpose. Absolutely. Um, that's a great one. Anything else that comes to mind? Um, analytics. Um, I am a big believer that you can't manage what you can't measure and data provides the dashboard to make very informed decisions. And so I would look at measures, ideally invest in software or set up really strong operational procedures that provide better insights. You know, uh, hire somebody with mad Excel skills that can use all your raw data, the, the lookups, pivot tables, et cetera, to try to really understand what is going on with your business and look at your cash flow on a weekly basis. Um, that may, may not be a hack, but it surprises me how many people don't know that and you can get upside down really quickly. And so I'm a big believer that the uh, data, the statistics, and your financials let you constantly iterate and make adjustments real time. Yeah, critically important. You um, you need to be able to measure and have quantifiable um, systems in, in your um, arsenal so that you can meet, exceed, and grow. Otherwise, it's really tough. And um, did you find that for for yourself, I know you obviously went through a lot of changes. I always love to to ask if there's any self-care suggestions that, that a founder may have to, to share with the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, without a doubt, uh, especially during COVID. I'd say about a year and a half ago, I really started employing a meditation practice. I use the Calm app. I'm such a fan. And even if it's 10 minutes at the start of your day, that's what I do. It's like before I even get out of bed, I uh, meditate. It lets me sort of um, set the foundation, um, start the day with a very positive um, outlook. And then at the end of the day, I do the same or do one of their sleep stories or something. And I feel like it lets me get out of my head. That's 
tremendously uh, important. And um, I'm big on like bubble baths and things like that. Just like, even if you only have 15 minutes, taking a few to yourself because there's never an empty inbox and there's always um, more to do. And then I would say lastly, where it's a little bit self-care and a little bit um, business related, I absolutely love podcasts. Um, It's great Mm. while you're walking, driving in the airport. And I feel that that sort of like the mastermind group ends up giving me um, so much perspective and sort of calms me and it just normalizes and makes you feel a little less schizophrenic. And I'm constantly inspired. You'll hear completely unrelated business has nothing at all to do with um, yeah, wine, but they'll give one little tidbit and I'm constantly I'm like, I have an idea. And so, you know, I think it's the inspiration and the um, balance that comes of making you feel a little less alone or lonely yes, from hearing um, other founder stories. Yeah, 100%. I'm a big believer in long showers because I, I get my best ideas when I'm not focused on work. Um, and it is it is really hard to kind of turn off that brain 100%. Well, we are nearly out of time, but I wanted to give you an opportunity uh, once more to share your website uh, or any contact information you'd like to share with the audience in case they would like to reach out to you or learn more about your product um, and where they could contact you. Um, our website is legrandpartage.com, which is L E. G-R-A-N-D-C-O-U-R-T-A-G-E.com. We've got a lot of great content, entertaining ideas, cocktails, things like that. It's all about the living joyously. And, um, you know, so please check us out. We've got a great Instagram with uh, um, tons of inspiration. And I would say, lastly, we just launched a, a grant and mentorship program this week to help female entrepreneurs and so if you go to our website you can learn more so we're pretty excited about that and ways that we can you know give back and help in this journey along the way that's fabulous thank you so much well i'm so glad you were able to um join us and uh, I want to thank our listeners and encourage you to tune in next week for more Startup Hacks. We've got another great show that you won't want to miss on the secret female founder strategies that will save you time and money when building your business. Thank you, Tanya, for joining us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you by We Global Studios, the first startup innovation studio and digital do-it-yourself startup platform for women entrepreneurs around the world. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit weglobalstudios.com. I'm your host, Fernanda Kirapina, and we will see you next week.